Okay, so um, we've been uh, journeying our way through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we've seen that up to this point, um, Mark has been building up a picture of, for us uh, in order to answer one question, which is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And we've seen story after story of Jesus acting in God-like ways. Um, he spoke to creation, remember? He, uh, he healed people. He raised people from the dead. Uh, things that we can't do um, and things that I've never seen happen. And uh, last week, uh, Michael took us through two more stories of Jesus' interactions with people who needed him. And the first was the uh, Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was afflicted by a demon. And uh, we learned from her the importance of humility in receiving what we need from God. And uh, you might remember Jesus' rather cold-sounding statement that he said to her, First let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So uh, quite a confronting thing that Jesus said to this uh, woman who was not a Jew. Uh, and she replied, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What a, a brilliant and amazing reply. Notice that she didn't disagree with Jesus likening her to a dog. She didn't disagree with anything that he said. But she beautifully maintained that even a crumb of God's grace was sufficient for her needs. A beautiful, um, a beautiful image, a beautiful picture. And her humility is so often in contrast to the way we normally come to God, sometimes uh, in frustration. Uh, like this, this morning, I, I felt exasperated after being woken up multiple times. and I was, <laughs> It's been a difficult week anyway, and I was like, Lord, and I, was, I remembered the story. <laughs> not, not coming to God in frustration, um, getting uh, thinking that he needs to, to up his game. Um, I don't deserve anything from God. I, I am, as it were, a dog under the table. But in that place of humility, I'm able to receive a crumb of God's grace and it will be sufficient for my needs. might not be everything that I want, but a crumb of God's grace will be sufficient for my needs. So today we're moving on to... Um, Mark 8, and we're skipping forward a few verses to the passage that Kieran read for us this morning, uh, verses 22 to 30, which is actually a pivotal point, um, a really important uh, verse in the Gospel of Mark. And um, it's a watershed moment, it's a dividing line, where uh, Mark gives us the answer to the question, who is Jesus, that he's been posing for us. And I found this really cool little diagram um, if you can just bump one, yeah, see this? I don't, don't necessarily look at all the detail. Notice the, the arrow going up to the pivotal point. Who do men say I am? That he, the question that he asked Peter or his disciples, and then heading towards the cross. So this, this is the pivot. This is a center point of Mark's gospel, right? So this is, this is it's, it's quite funny. I've been reading this verse for um, many years, and I didn't realize the significance of it. Right? And hopefully you can see from this diagram that it is the pivotal point, the dividing line of Mark's Gospel. So uh, this passage today um, is all about spiritual blindness. And there are two points for us to consider here. The first one, we're all spiritually blind. We're all, all of us, all of us. That's our natural state, we're all spiritually blind. And two, 
we can learn from this passage how we can be healed of spiritual blindness. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you want to bump one on. Thanks, Abby. <clears throat> so the first point, we're all spiritually blind. If you look back at the start of chapter 8, um, there's a couple of, there's three different sections going on. And in the first part of chapter 8, Jesus miraculously uh, feeds 4,000 men, but this time with seven loaves and a few fish. And then there's a passage where the Pharisees ask for a sign, um, as if that wasn't enough, but I guess they weren't there, so um, they didn't see Jesus do this miracle. Um, they wanted a, like an Elijah sign from heaven, uh, a flash of, of lightning to consume a, um, a sacrifice like uh, the Lord did for Elijah in the Old Testament. And then uh, Jesus refuses them. He says, no, you're not going to get one. And then there's, uh, just before our reading today, there's a, quite a, uh, a hard case account, an amusing account, where uh, Jesus warns the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples think he's talking about bread. And you can almost hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice as he says to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see but and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? And you can feel the, the, like, the exasperation, the frustration in Jesus' voice. They don't see. <coughs> so in other words, we've got the Pharisees who couldn't see who Jesus was. They, they, they didn't believe that he was um, anyone from God. They wanted proof. Uh, in, in the form of a visible miracle um, that, to prove that Jesus um, was the Son of God. Uh, but neither could the disciples. Jesus' friends were blind, and so were his enemies. Everyone was blind. Despite all that Jesus had said and done, and we've covered some remarkable things in, in this gospel so far, nobody could see that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And then this watershed moment, um, the dividing line in, in Mark's whole gospel in verse 29 from Peter, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, uh, as uh, Karen read out. Finally, someone got it. Well done, Peter. And in between, we have this weird story, a <laughs> weird story of Jesus healing a blind man in stages. Why does Mark insert this odd little story into the flow of Revelation. What's the purpose? Well, first and most obvious, obvious reason is that it, it really happened. Well, how do we know that it, it wasn't made up? Well, think about this. Mark's trying to make a case that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Would you put the story just before your, your crowning moment, your crowning revelation, Peter says, you are the Messiah, would you put the story just before that revelation, when it looks like Jesus doesn't have enough power to do the job right the first time, would you do that? If you were making stuff up, no, you wouldn't. It's like Jesus tries the first time to heal the man and then asks him, did that work? And the man says, uh, no, not really. I can see kind of, but it's pretty bad. So Jesus has to try again. I mean, if you're making this stuff up, would you include the story right here before you hit the ta-da moment? What's going on? What's, what's going on? 
Like all of Christ's other miracles, this one seems to be for the sake of the disciples as much as it is for this blind man. Now this is a really important point. You see, all of the Lord's miracles are really parables in action. If we see them just as recounting historical stories, we'll get hopelessly confused, because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. It's like, it's like an embroidery. You know, one side, the, the, the back side is just a hopeless mess, tangled. You can maybe see vague things, but you turn it over and bang, there's something beautiful, there's a beautiful picture. And understanding each of Jesus' miracles is actually a parable helps us to see the beautiful picture. He wants to teach the recipients about himself and about themselves. So we know from uh, Michael's sermon last week that Jesus could heal with a thought, right? He said to that Syrophoenician woman, your daughter's healed. Didn't even, didn't touch her, didn't go anywhere near her. Bam. Done. But if you think back on all Jesus' miracles, he does something different all the time. Why does he do that when he could just go bang? Because it's a parable. There's something there that he, uh, he wants to teach us. And it's important to be attentive uh, to what Jesus is saying through these miracles. So what does Jesus want us to learn through this strange miracle that we, <laughs> that we read today? It really is a strange one. The man who was healed in this story represents every person who ever lived. Right? That's what it means. The natural spiritual state of humanity is blindness. We're all blind. And we can't see who Jesus really is without the supernatural activity of God. In other words, spiritual sight, being able to see who Jesus is and being able to see ourselves in the light of who Jesus is, is a gift. It's a gift from God. So let's think about the implications of this statement for a while. If spiritual sight is a gift from God, do we have the right to condemn those who can't see or maybe see less than we do? Could we be ever justified in writing them off or judging them? Could we ever pride ourselves in the fact that, hey, we can see, but you guys can't, you clowns? No, the fact that spiritual sight is a gift is a great leveller. It puts us all on the same level playing field. And no one of us can boast because you can't boast in a gift, right? So that's a starting point for humanity. We are all spiritual blind, spiritually blind, and to be able to see uh, spiritually as a gift from God. So that's our first point today. So our next point, how can we be healed of spiritual blindness? How can we be healed of this condition that we're all born in? If we look carefully at this miracle of today of how Jesus healed this blind man, it will reveal to us the way that God opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. So this miracle teaches how God is able to take someone who cannot understand spiritual truth and how he works patiently with them, leads them step by step to bring them to a place of spiritual sight. So let's look carefully at this miracle now and observe what Jesus does. So if we want to be healed of spiritual blindness, 
the first thing we need to do is to come to Jesus and ask him for the gift of sight. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So this is the first step. Come and ask. Ask for the gift. Sometimes my wife asks me what I want for my birthday. She already knows. I like whiskey. But just in case, maybe she'll be surprised one time that I'll, I'll answer something different. But we need to come and ask. We need to come and ask for the gift. But what if the person doesn't want to come to Jesus? What if, what if they don't have friends like this blind man? Or, or maybe they're not willing to come. What happens if we have friends or family that don't show any inclination towards wanting spiritual sight at all? Then our role as believing family and friends is to bring uh, them to Jesus in prayer and do what this man's friends did for the blind man. Beg Jesus to touch those that we care about and are concerned about uh, and so that they can spiritually see who Jesus is. So it's the same process, you see. It's a spirit, we might be doing it spiritually, but it's still the same process nonetheless. So we take ourselves to Jesus. Or if we want spiritual, spiritual sight for ourselves, if we want to see more of who Jesus is, we need to ask him. Come to him and ask. This is the first step. Second step, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus takes the blind man's hand and he leads him outside everything that he's known. It's a village. Everyone, everyone would know him there. Everyone knows who his family are. Oh, there's a blind. Okay, we better you know, look out. It's a place of comfort for him, right? What does it say? When we ask Jesus for the gift of spiritual sight, we need to be prepared to leave behind our comfort zone. Right? Now, the interesting thing is that the friends, the blind man's friends, ask Jesus to touch him. And Jesus takes him by the hand. But nothing happens. Right? Jesus touched him, yes. But from their, in their eyes, nothing's happening. He's still blind. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking him by the hand and then he's going to lead him out. What did his friends do? Did they follow along and make sure Jesus was going to do it properly? Hey, uh, you know, he's still blind. Come on, Jesus. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, you got to not so impressed so far. Right? No, they have to stay behind. They have to stay in the village. They have to release the blind man. They have to release their friend into Jesus' hands and they have to watch Jesus take him and go. You have to let go. <laughs> right? It is. It's a lot easier to say than it is to do. And so this is the, this is the picture. You see, the, this, see this parable? It's a cross between a miracle and a parable. It's a paracle or a miracle, whatever one you like. So we need to let go. So when we bring those who we care about to the Lord and ask him to give them spiritual sight, we need to let them go. Let them go. Trust God with them. 
And if it's us, we want to take Jesus' hand. We like, let him take our hand and lead us. Now, if they're in the middle of the village, what are they, what's Jesus going? If you're blind, you you feel Jesus touch. You, you feel his hand in yours, and he leads you. And you have to trust that he knows where he's going. <laughs> oh, there's a cart. Oh, there's a dog. Oh, don't step in that. You know, lead him out of the village. We have to trust. Trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. And this is not easy either. It's hard to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing sometimes. The village for this man was his place of safety. And we have our places of safety too. Those familiar things that we've gotten used to, maybe that's not where God wants us to be anymore. Jesus leads him away from all of that. But what safer place in the world is there when you're in the hands of Jesus? What safer place is there? What a beautiful image. Now think about holding someone's hand for a little bit of length of time is it's okay. Like when you shake someone's hand, hello. But when you hold someone's hand for a long period of time, especially when you don't actually want them to hold your hand, it gets a bit awkward, doesn't it? Because holding someone's hand is quite an intimate thing to do. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yes. <Yeah, so. clears throat> so this is there's this picture of intimacy going on here. Jesus is holding this man's hand and he's leading him away from everything he knows and he's going outside. The guy doesn't know where he's going. Jesus holds this man's hand for quite some time. It's an intimate thing to do. But what a beautiful picture for us. Taking Jesus' hands and allow him to lead us. And we're in safe hands. We can trust his love. It took trust by this blind man to allow Jesus to take his hand and to lead him. Imagine if you were that guy. <laughs> what would you be thinking? Um, oh, uh, where are we going? Uh, why are we leaving the, leaving the village? Uh, where are my friends? You'd have all these, you know? So in the same way, we need to trust Jesus when he takes us by the hand and leads us away from our comfort zone. So that's the second point. <clears throat> Third point. <clears throat> trust Jesus when he doesn't make sense. This, again, is not easy. Uh, verse 23, when he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? <laughs> Jesus has taken the man away from everything he knows out in, out in, outside the village. And then he does something that would normally be offensive. Wikipedia says, spitting upon another person, especially into the face, is a global sign of anger, hatred, disrespect or contempt. That's what, <laughs> that's what Wikipedia says. And we know that, right? This spitting, I mean, it's all in the way you do it, of course, but um, spitting on someone is, is normally not cool. But that's what Jesus does. What a, what a strange thing to do. But it's the beginning of this man's miracle. It's the beginning of this man's healing, I should say. And then Jesus puts his hands over the man's eyes. And then Jesus asks, do you see anything? 
Do you think Jesus knew the answer? <laughs> yep. Why is he asking the guy a question that he knows the answer to? Because he wants, he wanted him to acknowledge his condition. Do you see? Um, same goes for us. When we ask for spiritual, spiritual sight, Jesus will say, do you see anything? And we need to tell him what we see. Fourth step. The man looked up and said, I see people that look like trees walking around. Tell Jesus what you see. So this simple statement tells us a number of things. It's quite interesting, really. Firstly, it tells us the man hadn't always been blind. Because he knew what what people looked like, and he knew what trees looked like too, right? So he tells us that he, he used to be able to see. Secondly, they hadn't gone miles from the village; they were just because he could still see people, right? Thirdly, his healing was far from complete. He could discern light and shapes, but he couldn't see clearly. So an improvement had taken place, but there was a lot more healing to go. What if the man had freaked out? What if he was being angry at having spit rubbed into his eyes? He could have backed out then and, and gone back to the village half seeing. He could have said, oh, yep, yep, um, okay, yep, uh, kind of. Okay, see you later. He would have left only half seeing, and that would have been the end of the story. What do you see of Jesus? What do you see? Are you satisfied by what you see? Do you see people like trees walking around? Do you see block shapes? Do you see the Lord in sharp, clear focus in your heart and your life today? Do you know who he is and what he's doing in your life? Maybe today is a good time to acknowledge to him that you don't see clearly enough and that you'd like to see more clearly. Step five, receiving spiritual sight is a process. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus repeats the step of putting his hands on the man's eyes. This tells us it's a process. Jesus could have healed him just like that. He didn't even need to take him anywhere. But he's teaching us. This is all about spiritual sight, and receiving spiritual sight is a process. It doesn't happen just like that. It's, a, it's a, like a lifelong journey, in fact, isn't it? While the blind man's healing was a two-step process, I think this parable or miracle or whatever it is teaches us that receiving the gift of sight is a multi-step process. It's one that requires us to tell Jesus multiple times we don't see him clearly. And that, there's plenty of opportunities for that, right? There's things that hit us all the time in life. We would go, what was that about? And if we were truly, you know, we, we sing that, um, that beautiful song, Send to my heart, send to my mind, till I'm all about you, till I'm all about you. Would we get offended so easily if we were actually really all about Jesus? Would we get upset when, when people treated us with disrespect? Wouldn't we know who we are? Wouldn't, wouldn't, we, wouldn't we just not be affected at all if we, were true, if we truly could see Jesus? If we truly knew our worth to him? If, our, if we were truly knew that we were his sons and daughters? 
Would we really get that upset if someone, someone else treated us with disrespect? Wouldn't it just wash off us like um, water off a duck's back? All those things, when we get upset, we get angry, we get frustrated. It's all signs we, we can't see Jesus clearly enough. But there's also opportunity. It's, it's an opportunity to ask Jesus, show me, Lord, who you are. Show me who I am in response, in, in the light of who you are. Show me who I am. And make me all about you. Because you can't become all about Jesus unless you have received everything you need from him. If you're, if you're still needy, you can't be all about him. So I've had a pretty, cha pretty challenging week in that regard. And this morning I'm telling the Lord that I still don't see him as clearly as I should. I'm still affected too much by, by what others say and do. And I need another touch from him. However, Tim Keller says that we know our spiritual sight is starting to clear when we begin to see how blind we really are. So that's quite an encouragement to me. In other words, the more confident you are that you can spiritually see is actually, and it might be, actually be an indication of how blind you are. So that brought me a bit of comfort and my discomfort at what I've been through this week. And the last step, step six, once we receive the gift of sight, don't go back to being blind. Jesus sent him home, verse 26, saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus told the man to go home, but not via the village. So this tells us the man didn't live in Bethsaida. So why does he, why does he do this? I think there's two reasons here. One is a historical one in the context of the actual events of that day, and the other is a spiritual one. <clears throat> I think the historical reason is that Jesus was on this journey to the cross, and every miracle that he performed propelled him down that road. Every miracle that he did was like a nail in his own coffin because it, it was... Uh, it was uh, Further evidence to the Pharisees that he was becoming more and more a threat. So the reason why Jesus tells all these people, don't go home, don't tell anyone, despite the fact they did, he's trying to slow down that process until the right time, until he, the time of his choosing. So that's the reason, I think, why he told this man, don't go back to the village because you'll blab to everyone and then they'll, they'll create a lot more fuss and then that's going to come to the attention of the Pharisees and they're going to just increase their their planning and scheming. But I think the spiritual reason is that Jesus had pronounced judgment on Bethsaida. And in, in Matthew 11, 21 to 22, we read, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida! <coughs> For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So Bethsaida had rejected the great light that they had been given, and so God had rejected them. So Bethsaida represents the state of spiritual blindness where we willfully choose not to see who Jesus is. And we're surrounded by people who, who choose, willfully choose 
not to see who Jesus is. So when we are given spiritual sight, Jesus doesn't want us to go back to that place of comfort where we were, where we couldn't see him. He doesn't want us to go back to living in blindness again. So this amazing little story, isn't it? This picture of, of how God brings sight to the blind. How, and you think about your own life in the, in, the, in the light of the context of the story. Think about how God has, has, has led you by the hand, out of your comfort zone, away to be with him, holding your hand all the time. Maybe even before you had... Res- be- and this is another thing, isn't it? The guy couldn't... Jesus had the guy in his hands before he could see who he was. So that, I think that represents that God is, is leading and guiding us even before we know who he is. Right? Amazing, amazing story. Reflect on, on your own spiritual journey in the light of this story. So let's bring it home now. We've seen today that Mark chapter 8 contains this pivotal point in the whole of Mark's gospel where we are given the answer to the question that Mark has posed to us since the beginning of his book. Who is Jesus? And Peter says, he is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is God come to save us. Because we are all spiritually blind and we need a, a, a miracle from God. We need the gift of salvation because we can't save ourselves. And the healing of the blind man is a parable which tells us that being able to spiritually see who Jesus is is a gift that we can ask Jesus for and he will answer our request by taking us by the hand and leading us away from our zones of comfort. He will ask us to trust him even though we we can't see or understand what he's doing. And in the process of this receiving spiritual sight, It involves us having to answer Jesus' question for ourselves. What do you see? Do you see anything? If we don't see clearly, we need to tell him. And once our sight has cleared, Jesus doesn't want us to go back to our old haunts and habits that affect our ability to see who he is. So today I believe the Lord would ask the same question of each one of us this morning that he asked the blind man. What do you see? Are you satisfied by what you see? Can you see Jesus clearly or has your sight dimmed? If you sense the Holy Spirit wanting you to take action this morning, why don't you come forward for prayer after the service? And I'll ask people to come up and pray. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful little story that in the first reading makes so little sense. But then as we as we see it as a parable for receiving our spiritual sight, Lord, it it becomes so meaningful and so profound. Lord, we ask for the gift of spiritual sight for each one of us. Lord, may it be something that we continually ask you for. Help us to see more clearly. And in in seeing you more clearly, may we see ourselves and who we are in relationship to you more clearly. To learn to live in, in, in that wonderful state of knowing we are deeply loved by our Heavenly Father. That you have, you are not scared to take us by the hand. 
You are not scared to be intimate with us. Lord, so many wonderful things in that story. Holy Spirit, bring us spiritual sight in a more fuller way this morning. No matter where we are on our spiritual journey, Lord, we ask for more of you, more of being able to see who you are. In your precious name, Amen.